Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Howard David, we're taking a bite of the Big Apple today with uh, one of the most knowledgeable writers that I've encountered in the New York metropolitan area. How you doing? Well, thank you for that introduction, Howard. I'm doing well. Um, getting another snowstorm here in New York today. Yeah, well, I'm right across the river in New Jersey, so I know I know what you're saying. I, you know, it's amazing. My wife and I were just saying this. I don't think we had a snowstorm at all last year. Now we've had multiple. Yeah, little. Uh... You know, we're getting definitely a blast of uh, northeastern weather this winter, so uh, make it up for last year. i got to ask you, when you were with the Daily News um, coming out of Syracuse, uh, the Daily News for a year, I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, it was the, the whole thing, thing I would pick up was the Daily News because uh, I was a big fan of Dick Young's. I uh, was a great writer with the Daily News. And over the course of time, there's been a lot of great writers for that paper and all throughout the New York metropolitan area. From the time you started at the news to now, where you're working for ESPN, uh, has the industry changed much in your view? Yeah, I actually worked at Newsday for 11 years after I graduated Syracuse. So there was that 11-year period at Newsday, and then I went to the Daily News in uh, 96. It stayed there for uh, 13 years at the Daily News. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Daily News itself, barely resembles what it once was, you know, and unfortunately, due to the uh, the business and the financial climate, you know, they've had to let, you know, virtually all of their good people go. I mean, it's a skeleton sports section right now, which is basically geared to online. I mean, it's really a digital sports section. They still produce a newspaper. I, I don't think many people read the paper, the actual newspaper, the daily news anymore. But it's, uh, I have a feeling very shortly, they just got sold a couple of days ago to a, a hedge fund. Right. I, I have a feeling maybe in the not too distant future that there will not be an actual newspaper. I think they'll probably, uh, you know, all digital. Uh, you, when you came out of Syracuse, now you actually teach some sports journalism classes at Syracuse, right? I do. Yeah. Every spring for the spring semester, I teach, a, you know, a sports writing class. And this will be my fourth year doing it. What is the most often asked question of Rich Samini when you get the students sitting in front of you? Well, last year they weren't sitting in front of me. They were sitting in front of my Zoom yeah. uh, on my laptop. But uh, under, I know what you're saying. Under ordinary conditions, uh, you know, I mean, they certainly know my background, you know, from covering the Jets. So, uh, you know, I get a lot of Jets-related questions. You know, I think those that comes up a lot. But in terms of just basic, you know, general journalism, you know, how do I get a job is probably, the, you know, the number one uh, question that, you know, what can I do to get a job when I graduate is probably the number one question. And particularly now in a, in a time where newspapers are shrinking 
the jobs become even more difficult to get. They do, uh, you know, the papers are shrinking, but you know, like I said, you know, all the newspapers have, uh, not every paper is in, in as dire straits as the daily news is. I mean, uh, other papers, the New York post seems to be doing well, you know, the times and, uh, Newsday seems to be, uh, doing well on Long Island here. So, uh, you know, there are writers needed for, you know, to produce digital content as well. So it's not only, you know, the actual hard copy of the newspaper, and there are a lot of websites, you know, that are, that pop up around the country. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's a tough time. I always tell the students, you know, it's it's not what it used to be in terms of jobs, but you know, there are jobs out there. It's just you have to find them. You've been covering the Jets long enough to know when Parcells was there, they got as far as the AFC Championship game and turned it over too much in the second half and missed a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You've been around. The Rex Ryan group that went to the AFC Championship game twice, but there's been a cavernous hole in the Jets' resume because they haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. So now Joe Douglas has got Robert Sala to deal with as the new head coach. He comes with, I've never seen a coach go to a new situation with so many people singing his praises. Richard Sherman did. Everybody seemingly on the 49ers has sung his praises. Uh, Shanahan is not everybody is just singing this guy's praises uh, he's a defensive he was a defensive coordinator but yet he's a guy who refutes that he says I, I coach anything offense defense or special teams why is this guy is it only because of people that have been around him that are singing his praises and how do you read it well he's a nice guy you know and uh, you know I think people gravitate towards nice guys uh, or nice ladies um, you know, so he's popular, clearly popular within his coaching fraternity. Uh, you know, it was, you're right, Howard, the hire was universally hailed as a, as a really good move by the Jets. And I agree with that. I think, you know, I, I said it from the outset, this is the guy you want. And uh, they, they ended up getting him, which surprised me a little. I thought for sure he'd want to go somewhere else. But, you know, so they got him. And, you know, the Rex Ryan hire was really popular at the time because Rex was coming off of, you know, from the Ravens, a highly successful organization. And there really were no negatives with that. I didn't see any negatives there. And then, you know, when they hired Todd Bowles, you know, believe it or not, that was a, you know, he was a very hot assistant at the time. And that was a generally positive move. And uh, so the Jets really, I mean, the Gase hire was, was panned. I mean, it was highly criticized by a lot of people, and that turned out to be accurate. I mean, he didn't do a good job. So uh, you just never know with these things. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the kind of roster they have. You know, do they have enough players? You know, does he get along with the GM? Do they share the same vision? For too often, the Jets have been doomed by conflicting agendas between the GM and the head coach. They just never seem to be on the same page. So for their sake, I hope they are this time. Uh, Salah's coming into a, a situation where you've got basically a dysfunctional franchise. With the exception of Becton and Sam Darnold and Quinn and Williams, uh, I believe the seven previous number one picks are no longer on the roster. Uh, and that's uh, that, that adds to what's been their frustration. And I'm just wondering, I don't even know if that Robert Salah and Joe Douglas have come to grips with the fact that, yes, Sam Darnold's our quarterback. Yes, we want to trade him. Yes, if Deshaun Watson becomes available, is he going to be part 
of the deal. I mean, there's so many questions that are unanswered. Yeah, and you're right. And it's uh, made for a very interesting offseason. You know, we saw Carson Wentz get traded today. Um, you know, the two, you know, the Colts and Eagles agreeing to a deal. So um, that trade w would become official on March 17th when the league year starts. And so, um, you know, now the spotlight shifts to the Jets and Darnold. Are they going to trade him? Uh, I don't think the Jets are in any hurry here. I think they have to do more homework on the quarterbacks in the draft. But, you know, ultimately I can see Darnold being traded and the Jets drafting a quarterback with the second pick. So they, they have a lot of different ways they can go. And, uh, you know, this is why this will be the offseason that determines uh, Joe Douglas's legacy. You know, he picked yep. a new coach and he's going to pick a, a new quarterback probably. So this will be uh, legacy defining for Joe Douglas. Um, Woody Johnson comes back into the fold after his stint as the ambassador in England. Uh, I know Woody a little bit uh, from when I was doing the Jets. You know him better than I probably. Uh, but, you know, Woody's not uh, not a hands-off guy. I mean, he, he's going to want to be involved. Yeah, I mean, he's – I wouldn't just say he's uh, Jerry Jones in terms of being involved. Yeah. Uh, he's – you know, I, I think he's hands-off, but yet wants to know exactly what's going on and I don't think is afraid to throw in his two cents. Um, you know, yesterday, I believe, was the first time he actually went into the facility. He's been back in the States, you know, for, for a few weeks, and I think yesterday he actually got into the facility. He posted some photos on social media of him being back. So he's he's very much back. I mean, he is now listed under the, the team's website as the, the chairman and CEO. So he's back to his old title. And, you know, I, I do think he has – I don't think he's going to come in demanding this or that. He's been gone for so long that I think he's probably lost touch with what's been happening around the NFL. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he likes to be uh, – he likes to be in the loop. The, uh, the Jets beat the Rams – beat the Browns, took them basically, not basically, took them out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Yeah. But you know this, Rich. There isn't a player who straps it on and goes out on the field that's looking to lose a game. They're not about tanking. They weren't about tanking. They wound up winning two games, and it cost them the number one pick in the draft. Uh, I don't think there's any player that regrets winning those games because that's what they're being paid to do. They're being paid to win. Yeah, I mean, there's no player that regrets winning. Uh, the, the whole no, no, no player tanks, and if if they do, they're they're not going to be on the team very long. And um, you know, coaches don't tank. You know, you think Adam Gase, you know, wanted to tank so the organization could get Trevor Lawrence? I mean, no. I mean, he wanted he wanted to win. He didn't want to go zero and sixteen. You know, no no player or coach wants that on their resume. And uh, I think that was the motivation, you know, why the Jets were playing so hard late in the year. They just wanted to avoid that. And uh, they did. And so now they're picking second instead of first. So what does that mean? Uh, does Sam Donald, I, I talk to Bill Parcells fairly frequently. And he likes Sam Donald. He thinks he can be productive quarterback. Uh, he just needs a better, a better cast around him, which he didn't have. I, I want to say that the Jets had their top three receivers five or six times all year that contributed to the problem plus the offensive line and so 
you say to yourself, if Sam Donald is part of the future, or if, I mean, if Deshaun Watson is there and, and Houston's ready to uh, take their heels out of the dirt and refuse to trade him, and they agree to trade him because they think the Jets have so much in, in the war chest that they can make it important for Houston, that's one story. The other is, if you draft a Zach Wilson from BYU or a Justin Fields from Ohio State or a Trey Lance of North Dakota State or a Mac Jones from Alabama, aren't you really starting all over again? Yeah, but they are, aren't they? I mean, they got a new coach, a new coaching staff. They are starting over. Um, and we know coaches often like to start over with their own quarterbacks. So I think that's one of the factors the Jets are considering right now. I think the Jets like Darnold. I, I, don't, I don't think the Jets – I mean, you're right. I mean, his supporting cast was suspect. His offensive line, by every objective measure, was poor this year. And – Donald was poor by every metric or any analytics guru. You know, I dare them to come up with one really positive stat about Sam Donald. You know, he stunk this year. He was the lowest rated passer in the NFL. You know, how much of that was on him? I think a pretty big part of it was on him. Could he be better with a better supporting cast? There's no question he could be better, but the Jets have to evaluate how much better and is that better than what they could get out of a Zach Wilson. And, uh, you know, you draft a Zach Wilson, you're also getting a quarterback on a, on a fixed contract for the next four years. You know, if you go with Sam Donald, he's only under contract for another year. So that financial component is very, very big in this quarterback decision. So we're talking with Rich Semini of ESPN, who covers the Jets. You look at the offensive line and you know, you got Beckton at left tackle. Do you draft a kid from Oregon and get bookend tackles? Uh, and that, I guess that, that's not the first priority. The priority is the quarterback situation. And then from there you go to step two. I mean, they've got the number two pick in the draft, and I believe the 23rd pick they got in the deal with Seattle for Jamal Adams. Yeah, 34 also. So they have three of the top 34 picks. Um yeah, I mean, so they could draft Panay Sewell from Oregon and, and put him at right tackle, and you're pretty much set at, at you, you would think you'd have your bookend tackles for, for several years. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, right tackle isn't as valuable as a left tackle. I don't know if I want to spend the second pick in the draft on the right tackle. Um, if it were me, I'd probably go wide receiver there. Um, you know, and take Jamar Chase of LSU. Um, the ideal scenario would be to trade down a few spots to a team that wants to move up for a quarterback, and then you trade down, you get extra picks, and you can still take a, a, a Devontae Smith or a, a Jamar Chase or a Penae Sewell even, even lower with extra picks. So that would be the ideal scenario. No, Devontae Smith is mind-blowing. He's I watched a lot of Alabama games. He is awesome, but... The, yeah. the fact, how many times have you seen a wide receiver get picked number two? Well, I know one who was picked number one. Yeah. I think yeah. we remember back in 1996 when Keyshawn was picked by the Jets. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't recall. I don't think a receiver's gone that high in the last few drafts. I'd have to check the last time uh, a receiver went number two. That, that's a really good question. It, it just, you know, you've seen guys in the top you know, in the five to 10 range, I don't think we've had a, a Sammy Watkins was very high. I think he went four or five a few years ago. 
I don't think we had one in, in, in the two spot in quite some time. Let me ask you about that. You know, it's it's been a few years, few weeks rather, since the Super Bowl. Uh, I wasn't shocked with Tom Brady getting his seventh ring. You're never surprised in anything he does. But I'm wondering how much teeth gnashing there was in Foxborough for anybody that was watching, if anybody was watching the Super Bowl with Bill Belichick. Oh, they were watching. Uh, you can you can count on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure that was part of Brady's motivation to prove he could go elsewhere and still do it, uh, win without Bill, and he proved he can. Uh, now people are saying now it's on Bill to prove he can win without Tom. Uh, you know, I, I think that's just, you know, that's just show fodder for the talk shows. Sure. To fill in. I, I don't think anyone really cares about that. I mean, I thought they, they're the greatest quarterback coach tandem in history. I think that's the way they should be remembered. I don't think they would have won. I don't think Tom would have won six without Bill and vice versa. And that's the way I choose to look at that situation. Sure, he's Rich Samini of ESPN. Um, I, I, Brady got the MVP. I would have given it to Todd Bowles <laughs> because his defense was awesome. Yeah, defense played great in that game. And I, I knew they were going to play really well. I, I picked the Bucks in that game just because of the fact that they had the ability to pressure with their front four, which a lot of teams, you know, don't. And plus the fact that you know, Eric Fisher, the chief starting left tackle, was out of the game, you know, and I think people were underestimating the importance of that. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you put all that together and I, I could see how the Bucks did it for sure. No, you're right about Fisher, but they were also missing their starting right tackle too. I mean, the offensive line was under siege all day and Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. It seemed, I mean, he was sacked three times. I think he was hurried about another 18 times. Well, he ran a total of 500 yards, you know, <laughs> running around in the backfield. You know, we, you know, we can count that nowadays because of the uh, all the data that, that teams accumulate through, you know, the little computer chips that every player has in their in their shoulder pads. So, so the tracking device, you know, I think it was 495 yards of scrambling for wow. Patrick Mahomes. It was just an insane uh, number, and so. Yeah, I mean, he was – but I also think uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy did a terrible job of adjusting. I mean, if you're, if you're five offensive linemen are having trouble blocking, you know, you got to keep a tight end in there to help. Yep. You got or, or put another uh, offensive tackle out there as a tackle eligible, do something to help. They did not. You know, they, they blocked with five the whole game, and, you know, I thought it was a, a, a gross miscalculation – uh, by the Kansas City coaching staff. You mentioned Todd Bowles before. Uh, whatever his status was before the game is elevated now. I think he's got to be a guy that is back on the radar going forward. Yeah, for sure. I think next year he'll get a, you know, he'll that'll be the payoff for him. He, he coached a great, he's a good, he's a good coach. And I think next year he'll get a job, a head job. Uh, we always talk about, uh, Rich, about the coaching carousel that goes around and around. We've got seven new coaches now, but I've never seen a season or a postseason where there's been a quarterback carousel. You mentioned Carson Wentz. There are others. I mean, there's rumors about Russell Wilson. There's rumors about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I mean, you name it, they, they, they got quarterbacks going every which way, and, and the obvious is Deshaun Watson. They keep saying that, I mean, Houston's dug in, that they're not going to trade him. 
you can't tell me that if they don't get a, 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 one of them Godfather deals, you know, one of those things where you can't refuse, they don't pull the trigger. Yeah, that one's really tough to read because, you know, history tells us that uh, teams can say one thing and do another. I saw it personally last year with the Jets and Jamal Adams. They were saying for months, we're not trading him, we're not trading him, we want him to be a Jet for life, and then they traded him. So, and then they, the reasoning was because, well, we got a deal we couldn't refuse. So, ultimately, the thing that makes it a little different with Watson is that he's a franchise quarterback, and he's only 25, and guys like that don't come along very often. And so you have a new GM there in Houston, Nick Casario, and if he trades to Sean Watson, that's going to be the first line in every story that's written about him, even up into his obituary. You know, Nick, uh, former former Houston Texans GM Nick Casario, best known for trading to Sean Watson. You know, that's how his obit's going to read. You don't want that stain on, on your resume. And so in this case, that's why I think there maybe is a chance they try to hold on to him and, and maybe – give it a few more months past the draft and uh, otherwise uh you would think that they would trade him at one point just because of the offers they'll be getting but this one's a little different just because he's a franchise quarterback if you're sitting there and I'm, you probably have doodled this uh, one night as you're getting ready to write an article what would it take for the jets to get deshaun watson uh would it take sam donald would it take how many number one picks and they've got a few uh, have you even given it any thought about how how much it would cost the Jets to get him? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think if I were the Jets, I would definitely make a strong, aggressive effort to try to get him because I I think you know for the reasons I just mentioned, you know, he's twenty five year old franchise quarterback. The Jets haven't had one of those in forever, so. Uh, yeah, I would probably offer uh, three number ones. I, I'd have to, you know, you'd have to include the second pick in the draft, which sure. really counts as almost like one and a half to two first round picks because it's so high. But I would, I would offer that, and then I would offer, uh, you know, next year's, you know, or this year's twenty three pick, and then next year's second of the two first rounders. And then you probably have to throw in a, a second rounder there to sweeten it up a little bit. Now, they'll probably ask for Quinn and Williams. I don't think, you know, if they want Williams, then I'm taking back one of those first-round picks because I think he's the equivalent of four first-round picks. I mean, or, uh, that would be like four. If I'm giving three ones and Quinn, that's like giving four first-round picks, and I'm not going to do that. I think I would draw – I would give them two and Quinn. But, uh, yeah, I would do that if I were the Jets. Um, of all the the seven new head coaches, the one coaching hire that made me go really was uh, the, the new coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, Urban Meyer has got a college resume that's very good, but he's never coached in the NFL. Is that a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. It's definitely a big deal. He he does not know the personnel in the NFL that he's going to be facing. Um, I think there'll be a transition period, you know, uh, you know, his, we've seen some, a lapse in judgment already. You know, he tried to hire the Iowa strength coach who mm -hmm. was fired, you know, resigned in disgrace from Iowa because of all the alleged 
racial comments he was making towards Iowa football players. And, you know, Urban Meyer turns around and hires him in Jacksonville. Like, what are you thinking? You know, to bring in that guy, uh, you know, part of this is the NFL now. You know, part of the job is being able to recruit players of all backgrounds to come to play for your team. You know, that that's not a you don't want to hire that guy. And and eventually he had to let him go or he technically he resigned under pressure. But so we've already seen one misstep by Urban Meyer. And look, it's going to be a tough year for him. He's going to lose more games in his first year than he probably lost in four years his last four years at Ohio State so uh, but he's going to get a great quarterback with the first pick that's a good start and I'm really curious to see how he does but it's not going to be an automatic success story I think the new coach of the Chargers has got a really good situation obviously with Herbert and a young roster and they they probably blew a bunch of games this year that could easily have been wins but that's a good job which job the Chargers Oh, yeah. I mean, shoot. <laughs> Justin, Justin. Looks like he's had a bright future. They got some good players on defense, Derwin James and Bosa. You know, their receivers are good. And I, I think they just, you know, they had so many close games. Like you said, um, I, I'm a, I like Anthony Lynn a lot. I mean, he's I've known him for a long time. I just think he didn't do a great job last year. They, they let some stuff get away from them. Yeah. And I think... You know, that, that's a really good job. Now, the guy who's taken over is a very young coach, and there's probably going to be a, uh, a learning curve with him for sure. Uh, let me ask you your opinion about Greg Williams. I mean, he gets he, they, he, he separates from the Jets. Obviously, uh, the strange call he made that cost him the, the Raider game. Does he ever land on his seat back in the NFL? Yeah, that's going to be a really tough one, Howard. I mean, I don't yeah, – not this year. I mean, all the jobs are filled now. So um, I think he's a good coach for a, a, a short term. You know, I think, you know, look, that was a terrible call in the Raider game. I mean, it, it was just a, a heinous strategic decision, and it backfired in the worst possible way. Um, but, you know, he did a pretty good – he did a really good job, actually, in 2019 for the Jets. Mm-hmm. You know, he took over a crappy defense, and they think they finished seventh in total defense and with a ton of injuries. And he did a really good job in 2019. But if you look at his track record wherever he goes, that's the pattern. The first year, the players buy into his fiery, rah-rah, you know, in-your-face, hard coaching, the players respond to it. And the second year, they get a little tired of it. And you see trends like penalties go up, which they did for the Jets. Stupid penalties go up. Um, lack of accountability. Uh, and then, you know, he overcoaches by calling that crazy all-out blitz. So, you know, he's a he's a fascinating guy. I, I enjoyed his company and, and liked covering him, but I think he's good in only small doses. I would agree. He's Rich Samini of ESPN. Before I let you go, I'm going to take you away from the, the Jets genre for a second. I watched Serena Williams uh, lose last night to uh, Osaka. Uh, she's got 23 Grand Slam titles. She's won Wimbledon seven times, six U.S. Opens. She's 39 years old. LeBron James is 36 years old and could very well be the MVP of the NBA right now. And Tom Brady's 43 years old, wins his seventh ring. And I'm not asking you to say one's better than the other, 
but these three athletes are phenomenons in, in, in today's culture. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good for us older folk. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, I think training methods have changed. You know, it's so scientific now what they can do with diet and nutrition and exercise and recovery. And three extraordinary athletes. I, I mean, if you, I, I thought you were going to ask me, like, which one has had the greatest career. I mean, that would be really you know that i don't know what i that would be a tough one you know <laughs> they've all for different reasons all of them have been great in their own way i don't know if i could i mean lebron's won in different places he's won in three different places which is extraordinary and now brady's won in two different places and serena is just serena you know it's it's her and and so that's a tough one i couldn't say who's the greatest i think they're all great and uh more power to them Tom Brady's called the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Serena Williams, I think she's the greatest woman tennis player of all time. She could be called the GOAT. But people are reluctant to say LeBron James is the greatest of all time because there was that guy Jordan that played before. Uh, I don't get into that argument. Who was better? It's two different eras. But I will say this. LeBron James can play all five positions on the court. I don't think you could say that about Michael Jordan. Yeah, I personally lean towards Jordan uh, in that argument, but uh, you know, I, I just, I just think, um, you know, he was just so he was just on a different level. I mean, I think LeBron is extraordinary, and you're right, he could play any position, but uh, I think what Jordan did is just, uh, I mean, it was a show. I mean, it, it just captivated the league. You know, maybe because he played half his game in in outer space you know he was you know levitating off the ground and you know much like julius irving who i think fans tend to forget about you know how great he was you know when they talk about the all-time greats but uh yeah i i'm a, I'm a jordan guy i i can understand that all right so oh, by the way tim tebow uh, decided to call it a day in baseball um look he tried michael jordan tried the transition's tough as they both found out yeah, I mean, I guess Jordan did a little better. I mean, Tim, I give him credit uh, for trying. He stuck with it for five years uh, doing the minor league thing. You know, I think he's 32, 33. He got banged up a little bit last year and came to the real estate. I mean, he couldn't hit AAA pitching. You know, I take my hat off to him for trying, but, you know, he couldn't hit AAA. Uh, well, there's a big difference between double-A AA and triple-A pitching, and when he made that jump, you could just see he, he was overwhelmed. And uh, I would not be shocked if he ends up with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, coaching or maybe, I don't know, coaching, maybe even playing, who knows, with, you know, with Urban Meyer, his former college coach. Um, I just have a feeling he's going to – he might end up there doing something. Before I let you go, Today's February 18th. Do you have any thought about a time frame when the – will the Jets make a move or is it predicated on whether or not they can strike a deal with Houston? No, I don't think that's in their thinking right now. They can't, they can't let themselves be held hostage by Houston. They have to go about their business right now. I mean, they have to plan as if that's not happening. And so I, I, the Jets could make a move at any time. Well, it'll keep you busy, my man. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Rich. As always, you stay safe. You too, Howard. Take care. That's Rich Semini of ESPN.
longtime New York writer. I'm Howard David. Thank you for joining me as we took a bite of the Big Apple. Have a great day. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube